Andy, my dude, have you heard of the magical website builder known as Squarespace? Ugh, not another Squarespace ad. I feel like every podcast is sponsored by them. <laughs> hey, 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 don't knock it till you try it. Yes, okay, it is overhyped. But actually, it lives up to the hype. Squarespace is like a website fairy godmother. With a click of a button, your site transforms into a beautiful masterpiece. A website fairy godmother? That sounds interesting. What makes it so magical? Well, for starters, those slick templates make anyone look like a professional web designer. Pick one, customize the colors and fonts to match your brand, and voila. Plus, the drag-and-drop fluid engine is so easy, your grandma could build a site on Squarespace. Well, she did knit me a lovely scarf last Christmas. Maybe website design is next. Exactly. And when you're ready to sell your Nana's handmade scarves online, Squarespace has built-in e-commerce. Add a store with one click. Get flexible payment options. Then watch those sales roll in. And when she wants to teach others her steezy scarf skills, Squarespace's new courses feature is just the ticket. Nana can set up her curriculum and enrollments and payments in a snap and become the next e-knitting influencer. Wow, you really sold me with the grandma angle. Sign me up for that free try. Just go to thenextreel.com slash Squarespace and transform your site into a beautiful Squarespace masterpiece. Well, thanks, Pete. Even though it's overhyped, Squarespace actually sounds perfect for Nana's site's needs. Appreciate the warning on the ads, though. I'll brace myself next time I listen to a podcast. Anytime. Let me know if you need any help getting that site up and running. Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to support our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Hello, from the Next Reels Film Board, this is Tommy Handsome with an important announcement. The following podcast includes movie audio clips that contain unbleeped profanity. Such profanity may include damn, hell, nuts, butter, <laughs> McGee, doodle, <laughs> Captain, <laughs> and toot toot, here comes the diarrhea parade. Listening discretion is advised. 
Welcome to Trailer Rewind, a monthly conversation about movies you may have missed in theaters that are now available to watch at home on streaming services. Every month, we dig into the archives and watch a film that was one of the trailer picks on a Saturday matinee episode. You can get access to the Sat Mat shows by supporting us at patreon.com slash thenextreel. And you can also get to be part of our group on Discord, where there's always an engaging conversation about films. JJ, we're talking about one of your favorite movies tonight. Yay! Palette cleanser. <laughs> yes. After a few months of <laughs> scary nonsense, yes. it's time we bring the beauty back to the masses. There we go. We're going to talk about I, Tanya. This was a- yeah. Andy's pick from November 4th, 2017. Today is March 6, 2019, and I, Tanya is currently available on Hulu. The haters always say... Tanya, tell the truth. There's no such thing as truth. Everyone has their own truth. I was the best figure skater in the world at one point in time. Call that a clean skate? Stop talking to her. That girl is your enemy. This one, um, tracking, you know, its whole release plan. Uh, I think this one was one of those scheduled for limited release, getting into the Oscars, you know, Oscar eligibility. So it was released into U.S. theaters as a limited release on December 8th, 2017, and went wide about a month later, January 19th, 2018. Uh, It stayed in theaters until April, uh, taking in. 30 million in the US and another 23 million internationally showed up on Yeah, it's it surprised people, I think. Oh, it did. It was uh available digitally on iTunes March 2nd and then hit Blu-ray March 13th and Hulu a couple months later on May 30th. So it's been out there on Hulu for nearly a year now. Uh so see, and I think you know that the this you think maybe this one doesn't make a whole lot of sense for us on Trailer Rewind because a lot of times we talk about on this show that we want to do uh, movies that people might have missed. And maybe people didn't miss this movie as much because also it you know has the Oscar buzz and things yeah. like that. But uh, the the people that did in that big group of Oscar nominations, the people that didn't see this movie because it didn't win Best Picture. So right. I, I want to make sure I'm really happy we're talking about it because I want to give it what it's due from our show because I think it's a really special movie and I'm glad we're going to talk about it today. Well, I, I think this is one that has that potential to be overlooked. There was probably a lot of people looking for it you know, after the Oscars, Alice and Jenny winning, you know, Best Supporting Actress for this. But that was over a year ago, and it, it could have fallen off of everybody's radar. It's it's an unusual film, and we'll we'll get into that. Uh, but this is one that I wanted to, you know, post twenty nineteen Oscars uh, bring back up as a reminder for people to revisit a film that I think deserves a lot more attention than it it's getting. Uh, this is my third time seeing it, and it gets better every single time and I'm seeing more and more to it. It is a really, really solid film. So I, I agree. This is one that, uh, typically we try to pluck things out of obscurity. Um, but here I don't want to say this is an obscure film, but I fear that it has fallen off of people's radars and I want to use this as a platform to encourage them. Go see this movie again. Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, when I'm looking through, uh, the, the 2018 nominees, it, doesn't look like it was nominated for Best Picture. I, I guess I was wrong about that. It was only nominated for acting awards. So uh, that, you know, and that year who won? The the Shape of Water won? Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I, I guess there's a lot of good movies in this bunch, but I 
from my standpoint, I think Itania is better than them all. So, um, yeah, get out and watch it if you missed it. <laughs> well, back in December 2017, when Andy picked this as his trailer, he said he had heard about this, but had completely forgotten about it. He said the trailer looks totally bonkers, but that was, of course, the Red Band trailer, which can get a little bonkers. Uh, sure. And he, it's the purpose. And interestingly enough, he said he wasn't that familiar with the whole story about Tanya Harding, Harding ah. but the trailer got him interested in this movie. And then he mentioned that he hoped I would enjoy it, even though it was directed by Craig Gillespie, who directed one of my quote unquote favorite movies of the previous year, The Finest Hours, which we discussed on the film board. And That's there right. were many mixed feelings about that film. And I had completely forgotten. Mo mostly negative. Yes. Let's, be, let's be honest. Oh, yes. They were mostly negative. Yes. But I had completely forgotten that Craig Gillespie directed both of these films because they are such polar opposites you have finest hours which is your sort of disney uh family-ish you know not quite for young kids it does get quite intense but you know very typical but it's a feel-good yes. natural disaster rescue story right. thing and this is the exact opposite of that a very unconventional storytelling structure uh, it is very much not <laughs> appropriate for the entire family uh right it's it's darkly comic so I am. I looked at, at Mr. Gillespie's IMDb. You know, I have not seen, and it's been on my list to see Lars and the Real Girl, which was back in 2007 oh, with yes. uh, Ryan Gosling. It's quite good. Uh, so I may have to revisit that. But yeah, it, he, Million Dollar Arm. Again, there's Disney with, with John Hamm, the pitching movie. Yeah. Um, but then Fright Night, the, re, the remake of Fright Night, that horror movie from the mid 80s. So his. What an film, interesting mix. Yes. And he's very, very, like really varied. And he's coming back into the Disney camp again. Uh, it has been announced now, of course, whether that comes to fruition, we, you know, we will see. But a film called Cruella, which is uh, a sure. live action prequel about a young Cruella DeVille. So it almost seems like he's one of these directors that's I'll, I'll do one for Disney. I'll do one for me type of platform. <laughs> I don't I like that concept. Yes. I don't know if it's real, but I like but, that but, concept. But for him, it is. He's, he's got, he's apparently got a good relationship with Disney and he'll do one for them every once in a while. And then he'll do something else. Uh, yeah, because I would say Lars and the Real Girl, from what I know about it, not Disney fair. Uh, and as we'll discuss tonight, I, Tanya, definitely not Disney, you know. No, so, no, not at all. So why do you love this movie so much? Well, I love it for a lot of reasons, and we're going to talk about a lot of them on the show. But my number one reason is that my background in, in my career was that I was a reporter for a nearly, oh, let's see, a little more than 13 years. In a couple different markets, and I was on on local TV news. But the the background that it comes from is 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 journalism. My undergraduate degree is in journalism, and a lot of times we talk about when we come to a movie that is a story or that is a depiction of a true story. We talk about you know what's real and what's not. And my favorite thing about this movie, and I think it does it better than any movie I've ever seen in my life is that it doesn't try to explain what really happened. It takes what we know from this really fantastic, and I mean that in the way of like a fantasy story, that people didn't believe when it was really happening, this in, the incident, as they call it in the movie, when, when uh, you know, when Nancy Kerrigan got, got uh, bludgeoned. 
there's all these different stories and there are media accounts of the stories. But what this movie is made of is the different personal accounts of what happened. And at no point does it try to say that what someone said was the truth and what someone said was a lie. It it constantly says this is her account. This is what she said. This is these sort of things. And it has characters tell us this was a lie. It has characters tell us this. She really did this. It says these things, but it's always from the character's voice. And the amount of journalistic integrity in telling a uh, based on a true story a movie like this felt so accurate, felt so special because it at no point did it point at me and say, this is the narrative that I want to tell. Instead, it, it what it seemed to do, and there's probably accounts of where it maybe messed up the point here too, is that it seemed to gather everyone's opinion. It seemed to gather everyone's story associated with this and then gave it a little bit of play and allowed you to kind of, as an audience member, sit back and decide what you believed with it. And I think it does romanticize the story in, in some ways it it, it does make it, it's it seems if you're taking a first person account of some of the people's stories in it it makes them feel a little bit more sympathetic figures but i didn't it, it wasn't a problem it it showed all of the great drama and great real sort of craziness almost a soap opera style drama of what led up to this particular crazy incident from Olympic history. And I think it was perfectly told and in, in such an artful way. Uh, but that journalistic integrity piece, that that thing of saying, um, we're not forcing you to believe our truth. We're going to just give you what everybody's truth was and, and let them tell you that they think they're lying. It took the unreliable narrator concept to a new level and did it in a perfect way. And that's why I love this movie so much. Well, speaking of, of news and journalism and media, one moment that I find particularly, I, I, the filmmakers took to, to leverage, they have this character uh, played by uh, Bobby Cannavale, the, the, yeah. the hard copy reporter <laughs> uh, who, who basically says, you know, all the news, news stations made fun of us before they became us. Uh, yeah. And hard copy, and you look at the trajectory of news, and yeah, what hard copy was at that time is, uh, you know, you can look back twenty five years, you know, distant, and say, yeah, this is what news has become, what they used to mock. Um, yes, gives a certain perspective and and tell about this film of reflecting back on the past and what seemed crazy then, and this is sort of what. I think makes this an interesting story to revisit 25 years later of how insane things were then uh, to tell it this way. Is it, does it, would this stand out nowadays? You know, would this seem as crazy because we didn't have anything like this back in 1994? Is this, you know, become the norm for the news cycles, yeah. you know, where this was really the, this standout story. So it's an, it, for me, an interesting reflection on where we've come in terms of media because he even talks about now i believe he's sort of a composite character but he talks about the fact that yeah they would have tanya's car towed or flatten her tires uh you know to to get her out there to you know right just to get a picture just to get a picture yeah of and you think of what journalists do nowadays to get the story to get the picture I'll tell you, there's a reason why I'm not in the news anymore. Yes. <laughs> well, there's many, but that's uh, yes. that, that's definitely one of them. That uh, it was it was definitely a tough and cynical business for sure. So, a, an interesting bit of research as I was uh, getting ready for this, there were there were two things that I came across. One was that uh, Margot Robbie, who was born in 1990, 
because she was four when the incident happened, she wasn't really familiar with the story and claims that when she read the script, she didn't really understand that this was based on true events. <laughs> thought, yeah, this can't. And why this can't, would you? <laughs> right. <laughs> how, how could you imagine that this was this was could possibly be true? And it's it's hard as somebody that remembers this. And my wife, uh, when she was in high school, you know, in the eighties, had lots of friends that were that were into skating. So for her, watching you know Olympic figure skating was very much something she was tuned into. So this was. This occurred just shortly after we were married. So, yeah, this was something we were really interested in and aware of. So for me to think of someone not knowing this story is, uh, well, at first it makes me feel a little old. Uh, but it again goes back to that news cycle of things can be, you know, top headlines and then it fades away five years later and is forgotten. Um, yeah. And that's and I will say that I, you know, people ask me around here. I, I'm in Portland, Oregon. People ask me around here, you know, what are what are we you doing for Trailer Rewind this month? And I told them, well, we're doing I, Tanya. And it, it's like everybody saw it here because it was the biggest thing around here. I mean, Tanya going to the Olympics was was a major deal. People around here had been watching her skate for decades so yes. it's a uh it's a big deal to people here even though you know and margot robbie's from the other side yeah. of the world but um but really uh it, it's kind of regionalized the story as well yes and it's uh so the other piece in doing my research uh and i'll put the link in the show notes there and because it's available on hulu there's a 1986 documentary called sharp edges which to me is a really, okay. really fitting title because this is uh, a Yale student making a documentary about a then unknown Tanya Harding. She was 15 years old, um, and I guess she was out in New York for nationals and just happened to be picked as the skater that filmmaker Sandra Luckow followed for, a, seems like, about a year. And cool. much of the footage in this documentary was the foundation for I, Tanya. So the interviews with mom, her, her mother wearing a fur coat with a little bird on her <laughs> shoulder. Yeah. That's there. The it's a real interview, the interview yeah. with her coaches. Now they, you know, they changed up the sets, but there's a lot of footage of, you know, her, her coach, they're sitting on the couch and, and talking about this. Um, they, they have lots of footage of did, Tanya skating and interviewing 15 year old Tanya. Did you watch the whole documentary? Yes. Yeah. I, I watched so, it. It's about 40, 45 minutes long so it's did they have is there an actual interview of tanya in the kitchen no no that okay so and, the, the, and then the, the jeff galuli interview with him on the chair that's fa that's fictionalized for that's the movie. that's all later so, yeah they base everything so else yeah because that documentary footage of lavana with the bird made me after i saw the first movie i was so impressed with the fact that there were true ones that i had created in my mind that both the two that i mentioned the tanya interview in the kitchen and the galuli interview on the chair with the boom mic that comes down at the beginning i had created in my mind that those were real interviews too now those may also be because there is another documentary that espn did called the i think it's called the price of gold which is available okay. on Amazon uh, to rent, but I did not have time to watch that. So that was in, I want to say, 2014 uh, documentary okay. about that. So that those pieces may have been based because that would have been, you know, 20 years 
after the incident to interview, you know, Tanya and Jeff. So it could be based on right. on those pieces. Uh, but what's really interesting about Sharp Edges, there's there's a part where her mom, Lavana, basically says, you know, Tanya won't do something unless you really unless you push her by telling her she can't do it, which is something that I right. think they they pulled that line maybe modified a little bit, you know, and gave it to her in a different context. Cause we do have that scene where they're at one of the competitions. There's a guy just heckling her from the stands. Yeah. And then you see mom yeah. paying the guy off. Uh, right. But yeah, her mom actually says that in, in sharp edges of, Oh yeah. If you, if you just were to leave her to do stuff on her own, she probably wouldn't do anything. But if you tell her she can't do it, it motivates her to push herself to, to prove you wrong. See, and that reminded me of Whiplash Oh, okay. about the, the J.K. Simmons character in Whiplash and how he takes pride in his ability to break people down and get the best out of them. And I, you know, and I love both these movies. So I think that's that's really interesting. This one is a whole lot more, you know, sort of disparaging um, in terms of the real life aspect of it versus the, the completely fiction story that is in Whiplash. But that same sort of thing of these people that really are abusers. Uh, and uh, then, but taking pride in their abuse as creating some product that is greatness. That it's just such a weird and, to my mind, evil sort of uh, attitude to take to to any life situation. Oh yeah, and the the documentary does. There's a couple scenes with Tanya. They're just interviewing. She's talking about her family. There's one point where she talks about. Um, a, a brother and sister. I'm assuming older. So we we don't see those characters in Itanya, but just uh, you know, her sister that I think got arrested and then ran off to live with some guy in Hawaii. It's it's clear that she's coming out of a a really dysfunctional family. And then there's a scene later yeah. on, um, after one of the competitions, and she calls mom. Um, and you only get Tanya's side of the conversation, but you could you know then the, it, the you know the interviewer asks her you know what what's wrong because. Tanya basically says some crude things about her mom after getting off the phone, like, oh, she is such a bitch. And like, well, what, yeah. what did she what did she say? And she, you know, basically is sharing the criticism that she got from her mom uh, because she she only took sixth. And yeah, mom had already heard that she like missed one landing or, or you know, made a mistake and just ripped into her over the phone about how she's not good enough and all this. And right. you see that in Itanya, but it was it's to me different to see that that dramatization is rooted in actual factual evidence i can see in that documentary that the the true dysfunction of the relationship between mother and daughter uh the the poverty that uh she came out of i think she talks about her brother getting caught for for stealing things um and this is a 15 year old girl who's had yeah. to deal with all of this uh so to me it just really helped solidify for me, what I, I noted most about this film, sort of the third time around, which is really looking at Tanya Hardy, not as, to me, separate from the incident, uh, what, what her journey and quest was. Things get sidetracked by the incident, but what trajectory was she on and what were the struggles that she had on there? And early on in the film, uh, we get to see when, when she and Jeff start dating. And this is about 15 minutes in. And we get a montage that just shows this cycle of abuse that is at the core of their relationship. Sing the streets of Serenade, laying everybody low. 
He was really sweet in the beginning. He was a good kisser. He told me he loved me. And I believed him. You're not having a conversation. You're just fucking yelling at me. Hey! <laughs> but then, he started hitting me a few months in. Then he would say it would never happen again. But I figured, my mom hits me. She loves me. And I thought it was my fault. That's just what I knew. Touch me! He'd say he was sorry, then things would be normal for a while. He was the first boy I ever loved. The only catch was... Beat the living hell out of me. And I thought it was my fault. <laughs> Nancy gets hit one time. Why? Why? And the whole world shits. For me, it's an all-the-time occurrence. I never hit her. That's not me. I'm, uh, I'm actually a pretty meek guy. Um, he hit me up, cracked the wallet. Fired a gun at me, too. This is bullshit. I never did this. That comes later. So, JJ, I, I bring up that scene not only because we get the uh, the abuse, and I think that's something that just really speaks to the, the world that she's growing up in and trying to escape from, but keeps finding herself drawn back to. We see her. she and Jeff, you know, throughout the movie, they, they split up, they get back together. It's this, you know, she's drawn to the abuser, uh, but she's also got an abusive mother. Uh, but what really strikes me about this montage is that it does something really unique stylistically because early on we get the setup of, Oh, we're doing interviews. We're doing these face-to-face interviews with Tanya, with Jeff, with her mother, they're sitting down and that audio from that interview is often overlaid over scenes we see, which technically would be flashbacks. We're seeing things in the past and they're commenting on them. However, in this montage, we get scenes where Tanya (laughs) We'll get that voiceover commentary, and then she will look directly into the camera, speak to us, the audience, break that fourth wall to comment on that. And that's where we See, get. And I love that we get that I scene just, with the, the the where Jeff talks about her being abusive, and it's in the trailer where she, you know, he's like, and she even shot at me, and she's cocking that shotgun, and she's like, "This, I never did this." Commenting right. on his yeah. flashback, yes. And this is the thing: it's uh, to break the fourth wall and to tell us in the audience how. From the character's point of view, and it's not even a character because these are real people, to tell their story, uh, breaking the fourth wall, it's just, uh, to me, it feels brilliant. To me, it feels like an insight that I hadn't seen before in a way of telling a true life story and having them break out and say, this is my version of events. And then having another character immediately contradict it in the next scene. Uh, I just thought it was brilliant. Uh, And it was the kind of uh, rule-breaking idea for something, again, where the subject matter is real, that made this a really artful movie for me. Now, I've, I've seen that done once before. 
Oh, which where where did you see it? So there's a Michael Winterbottom film from 2002 called 24 Hour Party People, which is about the, I have no idea what that is. So it's a movie about the Manchester music scene in like the 80s and 90s. And okay, yeah, I'm looking it up. Steve Coogan. That's Steve cool. Coogan plays a character named Tony Wilson. And so there's this scene in the movie where Steve Coogan as Tony Wilson is in the bathroom at a club and, I don't know, involved with a woman in one of the bathroom stalls. And the camera pans right, and there is the actual Tony Wilson. And it says, like, subtitle comes and says, Tony Wilson, he's like, I don't remember this happening at all. (laughs) So So to not only have the actual, so breaking the fourth wall, but having the actual person that's being portrayed in the movie comment on what the movie is saying about him, uh, I, Tanya, reminded me very much of that moment. Super interesting. Yes. Okay, cool. Yeah, no, I'm not familiar with that. That's great. 24-hour party people. Yes. If you love the sort of Manchester music scene, uh, they they track the band's New Order, uh, Happy Mondays, and uh, a couple others in that mid to late 80s scene. Um, No, tremendous tremendous movie uh if you can find it out there streaming or or, or rent it i will highly recommend it because of that uh same style of breaking the fourth wall having characters comment uh on what's going on directly to the audience very nice so the the style of the movie it's about 15 minutes in where we get that sort of shift and i think the i tanya was following along with somewhat traditional story but once we get to that Breaking the Fourth Wall, it's giving me these clues that this film is going to go into some unconventional territory. So, w- Well, and one of my favorite points where they break the fourth wall is where Tanya's having that kitchen interview. This is late in the film, but that we've used it. It's, it's, we're not familiar with it. We've had lots of the characters talking to us throughout the film. And she talks about how, and she says directly to the audience, and you are my abusers. Mm-hmm. Yes. You, I, and this is the thing where, you know, I, I, in, in my mind, that kitchen interview, I had created that it was real. But in my second view, now I own the movie. I actually bought it on Voodoo for this purpose. Uh, but uh, it, I went, oh, yeah, no, that didn't happen because Tanya didn't say that. But what a great commentary from the screenwriter and from the movie itself to say uh, all of us in the in the world that we're consuming this media frenzy we are the abusers because we allowed these tools to inflict additional abuse on Tanya i just thought that was really powerful and that was the most powerful use of that fourth wall break and again talking about the cycle of abuse of abuse that you were talking about as well oh yeah and we even get um there's a scene later on when jeff confronts her at like a motel she's staying at and they have a whole fight there she leaves he shoots her she gets like grazed by a bullet they get in the car they get pulled over by the police and she says there's like a gun in the trunk there's like liquor (laughs) bottles in the car and the cop does nothing you know it's clear that she's been beaten up and nothing happened and it, to me, right. it's this, you know, again, on a third viewing, now separating myself from, you know, I think first viewing is just coping with, wow, this is really unconventional storytelling. I'm having fun with this. Look at how comical this is. Look at how ridiculous this is. Second viewing to sort of just focus on character. Third viewing, looking at what they're really saying about 
the abuse she's receiving and that, that everybody in her world uh, just looked the other way. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's like you look at what this does to a young woman growing up trying to make a life for herself to get out of this and there is nobody there. The law enforcement you think would be the the people to step in uh, just look look the other way. And I, I just wasn't anything that, you know, again, I think I was so caught up of in the, wow, this is so ridiculous. I can't believe, you know, the world is like this too. Oh my gosh. I can't believe the world is like this. We have to do something about this. This should not be allowed to right. happen to young women that they are abused like this and people look the other way. Right. And now you look at, you know, everything that's happened with USA Gymnastics in the last year, and that's all come out after this movie, but there's a lot of crap out there going on that people need to pay attention to yes and you know for her it was um you know i think she had visions of what success was going to be like and after she wins that first championship and then they get in the big fight about why she can't have dove bars uh you know they go grocery shopping she's like where's my dove bar she's like look i'm like the national champion i should have dove bars he's like we can't afford it you got eskimo pies it's you know just as good and they end up (laughs) in this fight about this and it's you know for her you have to think everything is set up early on for the struggle she has of you know oh she's got to dress right and so it's like she's got to have a fur coat so dad takes her out hunting and they kill a bunch of rabbits and she's wearing this like really mangy like rabbit coat because well she's got to have a fur coat and mom's going to make sure she has that fur coat but she can't yeah. they can't afford that uh but they'll do what they can and so it's just this continuous battle for her to try to fit in and for me this the scene that really captures this is it's after the 92 Olympics and she's just found out uh, her coach has come back and found her and said, hey, look, you know, they just decided they're not going to do the Olympics every four years. It's every two years. So you've got a shot coming up. Which and, is amazing that that happened. Yes. In, right at that time for at her. this time in history. Yes. Yeah. It's crazy. So she's she's going through training and, and <laughs> during that training montage, it's so fitting with, you know, Pete and Andy being in the Rocky uh, series that they're doing where <laughs> there's that scene yeah. of her. She's she's sure. she's running with the big bag of dog food and the, the yeah. coach turns to the camera and says, oh, yeah, she or, or, or she really Tanya says, Tanya says, oh, yeah, this is how Rocky trained in Rocky Four." And the coach turns to the camera and said, yes, she really did this. And then she's, yep. you know, tumbling logs. Yes, she really did that. Uh, yep. But she gets to a competition and it's probably, I think, somewhere in 93. Um and things don't go well, and she confronts uh, one of the judges in the parking garage. Hey, excuse me, sir. Excuse me, sir. Can I? Can I just? Can I just? Can I talk to you for a second? I just about my score. Happy to. I know that you guys don't like me, but. I'm landing all my jumps out there. Tanya, it's never been entirely about the skating. I'll deny I ever said it, honey, but you're just not the image that we want to portray. You're representing our country for fuck's sake. You need to see a wholesome American family and you, you just refuse to play along. I don't have a wholesome American family. Why, why can't it just be about the skating? They want a wholesome American family? Fuck you, give me that. Well, it's not gonna be easy, but yeah, I could pull that out of my ass. 
And for me, this gets at the root of one of the challenges of becoming a sports celebrity. You know, she said several times, why can't it just be about skating? But being a celebrity, being successful, it's also about image. It, it, it's not just talent alone. You've got to carry that responsibility of being a public figure. And what I realized this time watching it, where skating could have been her escape, it was her way out of, you know, the horrible relationship she was in poverty. This was her way out to, to live a different life. And every, all the judges were basically saying, you may be the, you know, sure you may be good, but you're not the right type of girl. You don't represent America. You don't represent a wholesome family. So her way out just became this, this wall and reminder that she was going to be stuck, that there was no American dream for her. She yeah. she was a victim of her circumstances and skating was not going to allow her to escape that. And in the second watching of this, and I, and I remember feeling this a little bit when I watched it the first time too, but there are so many cues in the movie, and I don't know if they do this on purpose, but there are so many cues in the movie that let, uh, that let us know as the audience and potentially are potential flags for Tanya as well, that if she hadn't pursued this dream, her life might have been easier and uh and and more simple that this dream while it was her ticket away from what she perceived as a negative thing she had a, a bunch of different talents and abilities that if she just would have leaned into it would have been better I, I i think of early on i think when she's even 15 and she's dating uh jeff gooley for the first time he's trying to fix his car and she knows way more about the car than he does at all yes and goes yeah. in and just fixes it for him this is a thing and then you know there's this perception that the working as a as a server is you know, she says I, I ended up just like my mom i'm a server you know and then you talk about that moment where the coach comes up to her and says, oh, well, they're going to do the Olympics every two years. If she hadn't bought into yeah. that dream again, it, then potentially she would have had an easier life. Uh, but it would have been out of the spotlight and it would have been away from that ticket that you mentioned, that ticket out of there. And so it's the perception of the reality. She had talents. She had other things she could have done well. But uh, but this this allure and this thing that she could do that nobody else could do before her, no one else in the world could yeah. do before her, uh, was too was too much, too tempting, too much temptation to walk away from because she had the potential to be the best in the world, and that's uh, that's it's a really interesting cautionary tale in 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 that respect as well. Well, she she says after in, when we've got that kitchen interview, and she says, you know, after that, I knew that I was the best skater in the world. Yeah, at at that time for that time right. one time. I was the best skater in the world. And I think that's, it's, it's great. But yeah. what, what does that get you? It doesn't get you away from Anything. the abusive husband. It doesn't get you, you know, all the money because you've got to be that personality. And she even comments on it later on where, you know, she often says she roomed with Nancy and it shows him like both chugging beer, but the press wanted, you know, the the good girl and the bad girl. And so they I don't know that if that's up. true though. I don't know that's if that's one of those unreliable right. narrator oh, points definitely. where I don't know. And I'm not saying it I'm not jumping to Nancy Kerrigan's defense no. with that. Uh, I just am trying to say that that that's one of those things that feels like a not an oh, embellishment, yes. but a little bit of a uh, exaggeration sure. on the point of the narrator to yes. make people feel more sympathetic to the narrator. Oh, definitely because I think, you know, Tanya, you know, talented skater, because uh, even in you know, 
sharp edges. Her mother talks about the fact that, yeah, she started skating when she was like three or four. Uh, so, you know, lifetime of, of working at this and, and pure talent, but, you know, not always picking the right music and the right, not the right costumes. Yeah. And you think about a system that, that doesn't celebrate talent, but only talent when combined with the right image. And I think of it's politics. Oh, it is. I, re I remember back, back in the night, early nineties, you know, living outside the suburbs of Chicago, Chicago bulls and looking at, you know, Dennis Rodman. And I think here's a guy who was a talented basketball player who is now in the public media and now has to be a role model for kids. And what pressure is that? Like, I just want to play basketball and be good at this, but now I've got, I can't make mistakes. I have to be this perfect role model and the pressure of that. And I think we see that here with, you know, Tanya Harding, I just want to skate and I want to be the best skater, but you're right. expecting me to be these other things. You want, you want me to be come from a wholesome family. I don't have that. So you're saying that right. even though I'm the best skater, because I don't have these other things, you won't recognize my talent. And to me, that's, that's the complex, you know, that's the vic system that she became victim to. And it's a shame that talent alone will never be enough, you know, yep. for the world to recognize people. Uh, and to Very me, that's the, the big picture that, that, that really came through this third time, particularly with women, because there's been a lot of you know, reflection now on uh, women that are successful how they're characterized of like, Oh, they've got to be, they've got to be cold hearted if they're successful. Whereas men, Oh, it's a different standard, but women, they've got to be, you know, a certain type of woman to be successful because they can't be, you know, they can't be nice and friendly because they can't be successful in the world that way. And all these, you know, different standards that we have for men and women, uh, you know, Oh, how do you manage to have kids and be successful at your career? But they don't ask men those questions and these different standards. Yep. And I'm, I'm probably more focused on this because I've got two teenage daughters and I'm thinking about sure. their entry into the, you know, world outside of, you know, getting outside of school and having to make their way and how they're going to be evaluated and judged isn't going to be just solely on their talent, but are they the right type of girl? And that's really upsetting to me. So, okay. So your daughters are how old? Uh, 16 and 18. So how do you, how do you feel? And obviously this is a very raw movie, but how would you feel about presenting this to them to let them know about greatness and how, uh, how the pursuit of greatness it, it is filled with really scary sort of things? Well, I think it's better to go in informed rather yeah. than to, you know, so, and I think, I think Emma, my 16-year-old, I think she, I don't know if she saw all of Itania the second time I watched it. I think she may have seen bits and pieces because, again, she doesn't have okay. the historical perspective. Uh, sure. But I think both of them, because, well, we watch a lot of movies here, are going to be engaged because, as we said, the unconventional storytelling structure to this is just so entertaining. Um, it, this is a movie that... You know, so many biopics, you're like, okay, yeah, I get the typical, you know, trajectory. This is so different. This one, I don't think either of them are going to have an issue sitting down and enjoying. Um, but yeah, I think it will be worth having a discussion to look at, you know, what happened with Tanya and, and why she wasn't successful and ultimately what happens to her, you know, ended up uh, boxing. You know, we see that at the end, she's in the boxing ring because that's, you know, again, yeah. That's where she is. Uh, I think we get uh, at the end of the film, we get some little 
updates on everybody. She she's not in touch with her mother. She's doing like landscaping, happily married, right um, in Washington. Yeah, yeah, not far from Jeff, but he's married, doing his own thing. But they don't. They're not in in touch or contact yeah. uh, with each other. Uh, so it's a very normal story uh, now. Right. And I think that everyone should see this because if you do know the story, if you lived through the media circus that was this story in those years, it's going to be interesting and it's going to be informative to get everybody else's take on it. And it's going to tell you, teach you something new about that story, whether or not it's true. You're going to learn more aspects of it than you would have definitely learned from the media. And if you didn't know about the story, this is a really interesting look to say, wow, how could that really be possible? You know, you brought up at the beginning, Steve, that when Margot Robbie looked at the script, it didn't seem like it was something that was real because she was only four when it happened. I think I think that tells the story that this really needs to be seen. One other thing that I want to say about it is that uh, we haven't talked a lot about camera, and I don't know oh my gosh. too yeah. far in depth about it, but there are so many innovative camera shots to this movie, and and that alone, plus the great story or the, the innovative storytelling, is why I think this should have been a, at least a best, best Picture nominee, because there's two shots that I'd like to bring up in particular. There's one when she's just about to start one of her routines on the ice, where you are the camera is placed basically on the ice looking up at Tanya and she's center frame looking down directly into the camera and you just have the ceiling and all it is is Tanya. And I think that's just, it's perfect to show her determination and everything that she's, all those quiet moments that, you know, no one really knew, no one really even thought about when they were thinking about the media circus. I think that's one of the beauties of this story is that it, it, it really humanizes Tanya as a, as a person. And then the other shot is this sort of uh, faked wonder that's in the house when Jeff is, is without Tanya. Jeff is alone and is no longer with Tanya. You see him go through two or three different uh, it's sort of things in time to show passage of time in the house. At one point, he's on the phone. At one point, he's in the bedroom. He last then sort of slumps down into the living room and the camera's moving around through this whole reason. The reason why it's faked is because he's in different outfits. So they did have cuts through this, but the camera gives you the impression that it's moving around in one continuous movement. And then as he slumps down into the living room, the camera pulls out out of the living room through the open door in the front of the house and then speeds down the street away from him to show Jeff being alone and separate from Tanya. It's just, it was really beautiful camera work. And it's the kind of stuff that I love seeing in film. And, and, and that kind of stuff needs to be rewarded in some way or another. And, uh, you know, I, that we did see that this movie won the best supporting actress, uh, Oscar for with Allison Janney, who did a wonderful, wonderful job. Margot Robbie was nominated, but didn't win. Um, and I think didn't Francis McDormand win for, um, uh, three the billboards. Three, yeah, three billboards, which I haven't seen that movie, but it, she's fantastic too. I just think Margot Robbie's performance here was really, really special. And um, and I think there's other things about this movie that need to be rewarded too. And that's why I think everybody should see it. Oh, yeah. And then whenever I watch this, I I, I look at Sebastian Stan as, as Jeff and oh, yeah. think, that's <laughs> the soldier. soldier. I'm like, 
How I I don't see that. I cannot see Bucky. <laughs> it's in there. a great acting job, and, right? And, and I mean, it's, honestly, it's, it's, like, it's the mustache. It is. The, it is so much the mustache. Um, yeah. Uh, yes, and there. I mean, just the comedy of errors of everything that happens when we start to get to the incident. But for me, um, you know, and the movie runs close to two hours, and we get a, so much of Tanya's story as the setup to the incident. Um, and that part of the incident becomes, yeah, the comedy of errors. And that's, that's really interesting. And I'm familiar with that. But for me, it is really all the character pieces up front that are really the strength of this, that, that build that setup to how crazy things get. And then, you know, the, the fallout from that afterwards and what, what happens to everybody, the breakdown of all those, the relationships, um, make this a, a really enjoyable film. Um, it is darkly comic, but, Okay, given the, the you know language, the the physical abuse, you know I've I know I know I must have shown parts of this to Emma because she's my big Marvel fan and she's like okay she knows her she knows her Bucky when she sees him, um, <laughs> and but much younger than that, I don't think this is going to be for them. Uh, I was younger than sixteen. No, I yeah, agree. I, I, uh, I, I, and yeah. I even think at that point you really need to know your kiddo to yeah uh, decide whether it's appropriate for them or not. I was traveling for work and I got back in town yesterday and texted my boss and said, "Yeah, I got to prep for a podcast. We're talking about what I think is you know one of the a, a great film last year that was completely overlooked." And she said, "Well, what's that?" And I sent her the link to Itania, and it's because I don't think she was familiar with this movie. And I interesting again, this is after watching this again, I want to, I want to recommend this to anybody, particularly I think of our generation that is familiar with, or, you know, has a passing awareness of Tanya Harding. Everybody will remember that incident. And I think if you're aware of that, take the time to watch this because you're going to have the background and context for who these people are. But as you said, it's, it, we've got so many things visually in terms of filmmaking, the whole idea of unreliable narrators and everybody telling their own truth. Um, you know, as, as I've said, things about, you know, the role of women in sports and talent, all of those things, uh, you know, look, giving a blind eye to be, women being abused. There are so many things going on. This movie is so much more than I expected it to be when I thought you know first saw it as oh it's a quirky biopic they're going to do a biopic but they got to do something unconventional because the the subject matter is already ridiculous but to me i i'm going to give credit to craig gillespie and, and writer steve rogers um which and is funny executive he is not, producer margot robbie by the way yes uh, she was the money behind this movie that's, yeah. uh, that's a big thing to say as well yes. she deserves a lot of credit for bringing this thing out yes uh Truly, I think one of the overlooked films that, uh, yeah, should have been nominated for more than just supporting an actress. Not taking anything away from Allison Janney. Um, I mean, Margot Robbie, that's stiff competition, but there are so many other things that make this a solid film to definitely put on people's must watch list. Is this at the top of your flick chart? Is this going to be high. right up? The, is it going to be right it's, up on top there? It's very, it's very high. And, you okay. know, it's a five star movie for me and a like. It is number 13. Out of 195, which puts it above Boogie Nights and below The Matrix. I couldn't get it past The Matrix. I think 
Yeah, and and I mean, the, once you start getting up in these movies, it's really it's really tough because I love all of them so much. But I, one thing that is also remarkable about its flick chart position for me is that it's the second highest trailer rewind movie that we've ever done oh, uh, okay. after the Lobster, which still sits oh, up at yeah. number five for me. So, um, so that's a cool thing to think about. That even though it's thirteen out of all my movies, that it's still the second best trailer rewind that we've done. So it it was sitting at like number sixty eight. Uh, to 355 oh. when I came back and rewatched it this last time and re-ranked it. And it moved up quite a bit. Because uh, okay. I said, I think I'm appreciating this on, on more levels. So it's now at number 25. It is just under Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. Okay. Which is at number 24. Itania's at yeah. 25. Uh, so it's 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 up there at, what is it, 93%. Uh, because yep. I... I, I give it four and a half stars. I think that, as I said, with the incident, things sort of, I don't know, there's a little lull there. There's some things that, to quote Andy, I might have some quibbles with. I, I can't put my finger on it, but I think there's just a few little things, um, just little quibbles. But near perfect film uh, that I think merits being this high because, I, as I said, on multiple views to be able to continue to appreciate it in different ways to me shows the signs of just a truly great film. And I think Tanya likes it too. She, she went to the press stuff with Margot Robbie. They were seen together with it. And I think, uh, you know, I don't think she is ever going to be vindicated for what she did, but I think this humanizes her and makes her more sympathetic than, than other accounts really could do for her. So, um, so I'm happy about that too. Definitely. All right. Well, if you haven't already, please head over to iTunes, give us a rating and review. It helps other film fans discover us. And if you choose to support us on Patreon, you're joining a great community of film fans, including some that are really into film as art and some that just really enjoy entertaining movies. I mean, that I think is we've got a nice mix of that discussing the whole Marvel movie minute going on over there. There's some people that just love fun movies and there's others that are really getting into uh, the art uh, of those movies. Uh, so we'd love to have you join our community. Uh, I want to take uh, time to say special thanks to Pete Wright. We could not do this show without him. He takes time out of his busy schedule to edit this all together, to make it sound all nice and put those audio clips right in where they should be. Thank you again, Pete. Thanks, Pete. And JJ, thank you for hanging out tonight and talking about your, one of your favorite movies. Yeah, see you soon, Steve. Hondo. I love the conversations that so many of our hosts have had on their shows. Steve and JJ on Trailer Rewind, Ray and Ocean on Silver Linings, even Tommy's short-lived No, No, Wait, Hear Me Out. And so many films they've discussed started out as a book, a play, or even a TV series. Well, now you can support our whole family of podcasts by using our new Originals page to buy the original source material used to inspire films covered on our shows. Just visit thenextreel.com slash originals. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these fantastic conversations. It's a wonderful way to support the show. Producing these podcasts week after week require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, 
try using our originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. It's your one-stop shop for Amazon and Apple links where you can buy the book, play, video game, movie, etc. upon which the movie is based. Original material for trailer rewind movies like If Beale Street Could Talk, The Goldfinch, Aniara, or The Two Faces of January. Or Silver Linings movies like Repo Men, which was based on the repossession Mambo. Plus, by using those links to buy books, Amazon and Apple show us a little bit of love, which allows you to support our family of shows with minimal effort. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals. It's a fantastic way to support the show and find a great book to read. That's right. Head over to thenextreel.com slash originals to find your next read and get started today. Mm-hmm.